Welcome to First Baptist Church in Belton. We are glad you found us. We seek to know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally together. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 27. Acts 27, and we'll begin reading there in just a moment uh, in verse 13. Acts 27. And as you turn there, I want you to consider the impact of stories. We all love good stories, don't we? Stories that excite us, full of adventure, wonder, thrill. Stories that challenge us, make us look at life a little bit differently, maybe ask difficult questions about who we are and who we desire to be. We also love stories that are encouraging, uplift our spirit, stories of triumph and victory. So whether we're reading a great novel or an autobiography or watching a movie on a big screen in the theater, or maybe just sitting in our grandparents' house listening to stories of old. We love good stories. Well, Acts 27 is one of those stories. It's a phenomenal story. It captivates us. It's engaging. It's exciting. All that's left now is Paul somehow getting to Rome. He's appealed to Caesar. So they put Paul in a ship with a bunch of prisoners and they set sail for Rome. So let's pick up with the story in verse 13. We're going to read 13 through 44. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. When the fourteenth night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. 
So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little further on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors for the bow, from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today's the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. Now that is an amazing story. If you've read the book of Acts, it's different from what we've read prior. Prior to reading this part in chapter 27, we're used to obstacles like unbelief, persecution, demonic influence, doctrinal confusion, pagan misunderstandings. But here we get a storm. A shipwreck. So what's the point? What's the takeaway? How does a story like this help us follow Jesus? Three things. I want us to consider the journey. I want us to consider Paul's faithfulness. And then I want us to consider Paul's God. Let's think about the journey first. They didn't board an ocean liner. Think large wooden vessel crammed with 276 people. This hurricane-like wind pounds the ship off course. They're in constant fear. The storm doesn't last one night. We're at 14 nights by verse 27. There's no Coast Guard, no Google Maps, no weather channel. All they have is the sun by day and the stars by night. But we see in verse 20 that neither the sun nor the stars appeared for many days. They're lost. They can't control the ship. They jettison the cargo. They chunk the tackle. They abandon all hope. In verse 30, you see that the sailors, they wanted to escape, leave the prisoners for dead. And you know it's bad when the professionals check out. This was awful. It's dangerous. 
It's uncertain. It's scary. From a human perspective, you can see in verse 20, it was hopeless. And here's what I want us to consider this morning. Faithfulness doesn't mean a mission without difficulty. Faithfulness doesn't mean a mission without difficulty. Paul does everything right. He's, he's on a boat heading to Rome just as he was commanded to do. Just as Jesus said, he's obedient all along the way. He's ready to give his life for Christ. Faithfulness doesn't mean everything is smooth sailing. You know this to be true. Faithfulness doesn't mean a mission without difficulty. In the same way, faithfulness doesn't force God into a position where he must now protect from all problems. Now, I'm not even talking about persecution. We know that the world hates Jesus and they're going to hate us. But here, Paul is caught in a violent storm on a ship. He suffers greatly simply because he lives in a fallen world riddled with futility. Storms. Ship captains that make unwise choices. We could add floods, earthquakes, fires, cancer, car accidents, miscarriages, estranged spouses, problems none of us would ask for or wish upon anyone. Yet in His wisdom, God designs for us to walk through many hardships. In a minute, we'll talk more about why he has us walk through them and how he enables us to walk through them. But for now, just consider the fact that we will face difficulty in the mission. I'm reminded of Jesus at the very end of his Sermon on the Mount. You'll remember this. He says, he says, the one who listens and does what I've said, referring to what he's taught on the Sermon on the Mount, He's like a man who builds his house on a rock. And then he says these words. And when the storms come, and when the wind blows, not if the storms come, not if the wind blows, but when the storms come. When the wind blows. You see, my friends, in the path of obedience to Jesus, You may face imprisonment. You may endure the hardship of cancer. You may face disownment from family or lose friends or a job. Whether it's due to fallen people or to the fallen creation that you live in, even those who are faithful will face difficulties, dangers, and seemingly hopeless situations. But the question is, what do you do with them? We who belong to Christ know that hardships can't mean that the Lord has forsaken us or that his love for us is decreased. We can rest assured that even in our sufferings, even in our storms and shipwrecks, he will produce in us those things that lead to more and more hope in him. Faithfulness doesn't mean a mission without difficulty. 
So how then should we respond to the storms and shipwrecks in life? Well, Luke offers a great example in Paul. Paul faces a dangerous journey, but he remains faithful. So let's consider Paul's faithfulness for a moment. He doesn't know yet that God will spare their lives, but early on in the chapter that we didn't read, verses 1 through 12, he offers wise counsel. You can see in verse 10, he says, I perceive the voyage will be with much injury and much loss. So he's basically telling the sailor, don't let, we don't need to leave. Don't do this. Stay put. But the, the sailor doesn't heed his advice. And then we get to verse 21, and he's proven right, and he gets in a little, I told you so, you should have listened to me. But to his surprise, the Lord promises that nobody will lose their lives. An angel appears to him, and the God to whom he belongs and whom he worships sends him a message. And the message is, don't be afraid, Paul, you must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. And so what does Paul do with this? Paul brings encouragement. Based on God's revelation to him, he brings encouragement to the people on the ship. He says, take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I've been told. But we must run aground on some island. And sure enough, that's what happens. You see, a major part of of Luke's apologetic is to vindicate God's messenger. It's to show God's hand on Paul. When Paul speaks on God's behalf, he's not lying. He's speaking the truth. His God is not like the capricious and unpredictable gods of paganism. His God is trustworthy. And so Paul shares that encouraging revelation to the people. And what a platform this creates for Paul's um, credibility, but also God's trustworthiness. Paul says it, and it happens exactly as he said. Maybe we should listen to this guy. Maybe we should trust in his God. So we see Paul's faithfulness to offer wise counsel. We see his faithfulness to encourage others based on God's revelation We also see in verse 31, his faithfulness to save the lives of those on the ship. He says in verse 31, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. They were, they were wanting to get out of there and leave the prisoners for dead in the storm. But Paul says you don't leave or it will be to your detriment. Now this isn't a contradiction of God's promise. This is not Paul doubting what God said before. This warning is a means by which God fulfills his promise. If if you get on those boats and leave and leave the prisoners for dead, it will be to your detriment. You will not be saved. God inspires those warnings as a means to fulfill his promises and they all stay And their lives get spared just as God promised. Finally, we see Paul's faithfulness in the way he's able to give thanks to God. In verse 33, he encourages those on the ship to take some food. 
He reassures them of God's promises. Then in verse 35, he sa- it says, He took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, He broke it and began to eat. Storm-tossed, frightened, weak, at their wit's end. But here's Paul serving his neighbors, encouraging them with the Word of God, giving thanks to God in their presence. He's not sulking. He's not throwing a self-pity party. He's not complaining. Rather, Paul is giving thanks in all circumstances. Paul may be a prisoner stuck in a storm, but his confidence in God's Word and in God's character leads him to serve and save others while pointing them to his gracious Father. I find it interesting here that by sketching Paul's faithfulness, Luke actually ends up portraying the risen Jesus to whom Paul belongs. Think about it for a moment. As a man... Jesus remained confident in God's word and in God's character, his father's word and character. That confidence led Jesus not only to overcome Satan's temptations, but it drove him to serve and save others, even to the point of death on a cross. All the while pointing to his gracious father who sent him. Luke ends up portraying the risen Jesus to whom Paul belongs. Paul might be a, be going to Rome as a prisoner, but he spreads the aroma of Christ on that ship. So in this way, Paul's faithfulness really becomes a window by which we see our sovereign, gracious God at work. When we look through that window of Paul's faithfulness, we witness several things about Paul's God. So let's consider Paul's God for a moment. One, we see that God's word is trustworthy. We've already talked a little bit about that, but you see it in verse 24 here. Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart. For I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. End of verse 34. Or 44 rather. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. God did exactly what he told Paul he would do. And he will do exactly what he tells you that he will do. You can trust in God's word. His promises are true and they will never fail. He will accomplish what He says He will accomplish. His Word is trustworthy. His promises are true. You can cling to them when you're in the storm and your life's in a shipwreck. You can cling to the promise that He will never leave you or forsake you. You can cling to the promise that you can cast all of your cares upon Him because He cares for you. You can cling to the promise that if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be Saved. You can cling to the promise that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor heights or depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
You can cling to those promises. They're true. His word is trustworthy. Stake your life on God's revelation to you in Christ and through His word. Take His promises to the bank because He is trustworthy. If He says it, He will do it. That's our God. Trust in God that it will be exactly as He told you. And then take those promises and share them with others. Encourage believers and unbelievers alike with what you know to be true of God's revelation in Scripture. His Word is trustworthy even in the storms and shipwrecks. We also see that God's purpose is unstoppable. God's purpose is unstoppable. Several years earlier, if you look at chapter 19, verse 21, you'll see that the Holy Spirit constrained Paul to go to Rome. Now, from chapter 19 to chapter 27, what takes place? How many obstacles does Paul face? A riot in Ephesus. Jewish persecution. A couple of plots to kill him. Roman imprisonment. Two governors and a king try him. Now a storm and a shipwreck. Keep reading chapter 28. He's bitten by a viper. Now most of us would probably at that point go, maybe I heard God incorrectly. Maybe God really didn't say that. Because isn't this journey supposed to be easy? If he called me to it. But that's not what Paul does. Paul keeps going. Paul keeps on the journey to get to Rome. Yet all along the way, Luke reminds us that God's sovereign purpose is never thwarted. Whether it's fallen people or the fallen creation, nothing will hinder God from accomplishing His purpose. Nothing. Nothing. Rather, God designs everything to serve His purposes. The events may not make sense to us. The circumstances may feel like God is absent or like God's purposes just can't succeed. They may even drive you just like they they drove everybody on the ship to feel like all hope is lost. But again and again and again and again, the Bible confirms that God orchestrates all things according to His will. All things. Now, I can't make sense of that. I don't know how that all works. But I know that God works everything to finish the work of flooding the earth with the knowledge of the glory of God. Even your flood and shipwreck. It's accomplishing His purposes. In you, maybe in your family, it's accomplishing His purposes. If He wants His messenger to testify in Rome, He will get His messenger to Rome. And He will testify. In the midst of chaos, in the midst of your storm, in the midst of your shipwreck, rest 
in the sovereignty of God to work all things according to His glory and to your good. You may be uncertain. You may be weary. You may be lost. You may wonder if the clouds are ever going to part. But you can rest in God's sovereignty. Now, I'm not sitting here pretending that hardships aren't awful. This is not me saying, think, uh, uh, this is not me talking about positive thinking. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm, I, I, you need to acknowledge that hardships are real. Acknowledge hardships for what they really are. But what I am saying is that you can rest in God. And in His sovereign, gracious care through all of it. You can trust Him. Finally, by looking through the window of Paul's faithfulness, we also see that God's grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. Everything Paul needs to be faithful, God gives him. I want to I want to point to you the way Paul views shipwrecks in in chap in Second Corinthians chapter eleven and twelve. If you'll turn there real quickly, Second Corinthians eleven, verse twenty three. Now keep in mind that Paul wrote Second Corinthians prior to this experience in Acts, but the letter does provide insight to the way he views circumstances like the ones we're talking about today. Here in chapter 11, Paul is defending his ministry. False prophets have duped the Corinthian church. They're boasting in the flesh about their Jewishness. So Paul begins to prove the genuineness of his apostleship versus theirs. So what you see is Paul will begin boasting in his weaknesses. And those things that bring glory to Christ. And he just begins to rattle them off. Look at what he says in chapter 11, verse 23 of 2 Corinthians. Are they servants of Christ? I I love this. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman. Have you ever felt like that? I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night a night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys. In danger from rivers. Danger from robbers. Danger from my own people. Danger from Gentiles. Danger in the city. Danger in the wilderness. Danger at sea. Danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to fall? And I am not indignant. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Now turn over to chapter 12. Verses 9 and 10. 
Paul will go on to speak about a heavenly experience and he could boast in that. But God puts a thorn in his flesh to keep him from becoming arrogant. Paul prays that it would be removed. God doesn't remove it. But he answers Paul's prayer this way. Verse 9 of chapter 12. He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content. For the sake of Christ, I am content. With weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, keeping chapters 11 and 12 in mind that we just read, what does Paul mean by weaknesses? He does not mean sin or imperfections. He means the circumstances that often expose us as weak people. In chapter 11, it was things like shipwrecks, adrift at sea, danger at sea, sleepless nights, hunger. Here in chapter 12, it's insults, hardships, persecution, calamities. Things happening outside of Paul's control in the path of obedience to Jesus. And Paul says he will gladly boast in these weaknesses because they showcase God's grace and power. When you belong to Christ, when you're on the hilltop or you're in the valley, when you're adrift at sea or your life is a shipwreck, your life is a theater wherein God's displays, God displays His power in your weakness. And when you stand on Him as your unshakable rock, your constant supply and hope, your life will become a window through which people, the world, will see your sovereign, gracious God at work. Even more, as the Scriptures teach us, your life will show the way of the cross. Where God's power was truly perfected in weakness. To us who are being saved, the cross is the power of God and the wisdom of God. To the world, it looks like weakness and foolishness. When you endure hardship, when you walk through trials, when you face seemingly hopeless situations... When your world, when your life seems shipwrecked, remember that God's word is trustworthy. His purposes are unstoppable. And His grace is sufficient. Let's pray together. Dear God, each and every one of us come into this room this morning with different struggles, different situations in our lives. Some of us 
are here this morning and we feel like our world is falling apart. Our life seems to be like a shipwreck right now. Some of us sitting in here, we just feel hopeless. Because life just keeps punching us in the face. So God, I pray that today, God, you would remind each and every one of us of your sovereign, gracious care. That you can be trusted. That your ways are unstoppable. And that you have not forgotten us. Lord, that your power and your glory are shown through our weaknesses. So God, help us to trust you. Help us to rely on you. God, I pray that if there's someone here this morning that has never trusted in you, Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would show them that you love them, that you displayed that in no greater way than on the cross. And that they can trust you. Give their lives to you. Surrender to you. Submit to your ways. So God, I pray that you would have your way in this moment as we stand and sing our song of invitation. And I pray that we can trust, we will trust you in the midst of storms and shipwrecks. And it's in your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing our song of invitation together. The altar's open. You can come and pray. I'm here. We have ministers available to come and talk to, talk to you, pray with you. Let's sing our song of invitation together. If you would like more information, visit our church website at www.fbcbelton.org or call our church office at 254-939-0705. We are located at 506 North Main Street in Belton, Texas. We hope to see you soon.